and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I am Matt Zeller Seitz, television critic for New York Magazine and Vulture, sitting in for Gazelle Mommy and Jen Cheney. On this week's show, we've got a very special treat for you, a long interview with the star and the uh, creator and executive producer of a show that I like very much. Michael McKean is a great American character actor who's gotten the role of a lifetime on AMC's Better Call Saul, Vince Gilligan, and Peter Gould's prequel to Breaking Bad. As the older brother of Bob Odenkirk's ethically challenged but very likable lawyer, Slippin' Jimmy McGill, McKean turns a foil type of character into a richly textured and unexpectedly sympathetic person. To me, anyway. He also masters the physical challenges of playing a man who suffers from a rare disorder that might or might not be real, an extreme sensitivity to electricity. I spoke at length to McKean and Gould at Split Screen's Television Festival, the new festival that I programmed June 2nd through 8th at IFC Center in Manhattan. An edited version of that conversation follows. You've been known uh, primarily as a, as a comic actor, which is inaccurate because you play all kinds of roles. But I wonder if you feel that you've ever had a part like this one that uses as many different aspects of your, of your talent. Well, this is a 30-hour movie I've appeared in, you yeah. know. So uh, a, a lot has gone down about uh, with this one character. I've never been the protagonist, really. You know, I'm, I have my own plot and, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of different angles there. I mean, I've done other other parts that meant a great deal to me. I did. I was. Uh, uh, I played Arthur Schubershevsky in the original production of uh, of Superior Donuts at Steppenwolf, and then in New York, and that was, and that was uh, that was kind of a remarkable thing to do. But it's still that's two and a half hours of your time. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a series of something different. And these guys kept throwing me a lot of yummy curves, and it was uh, really fun to swing for the fences once in a while. So, Peter, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how how Jimmy came to be Jimmy uh, before he was Saul, and how he ended up with a brother, and just the whole origins of this character. You know, the, I think the two things are, in my mind, they're really interlocked, because uh, Vince and I, well, actually, the whole show started off as a writer's room joke. Uh, we introduced uh, Saul Goodman on Breaking Bad, and the joke in the writer's room forever after was that there was something that wasn't serious enough or just didn't quite fit into Breaking Bad. Oh, we'll save that for the Saul Goodman show. And I, I really did think it was a joke because it was too good to be true, because I was lucky enough to be you know, the writer who had originated the character. Breaking Bad... And Better Call Saul, everything is comes out of the writer's room together. But I was the lucky one who got to write the original Saul Goodman script. And uh, so it seemed too good to be true. And then once we uh, got serious about it, towards the end of Breaking Bad, I, I'll, I'll synopsize a lot of the process. But I think the great challenge for us was, uh, and we talk, we've talked a lot about the tone of the show, but I think really the great challenge was finding humanity in the character and finding a way that, I don't know how to put this except to say, the way that he could be hurt. Saul Goodman felt like you could take money away from him, you could take his life away from him, 
but you couldn't really hurt his feelings, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? Uh, and and by taking asking ourselves, you know, how did this guy? We knew he his last name was McGill. We didn't know what his first name was. Uh, he never said on, on Breaking Bad. We started asking ourselves, how do you become this character? And we went back in time, and we at the once we opened the writers' room, we hadn't finished the process. But before we opened the writers' room, we did have a key element, which was. Who does he care about? Who's, who's, who's in his life? And that was when we had the thought of a brother. And one of the things that was on our mind was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Crumb? Yes. Uh, and and we, we thought about, you know, you meet our Crumb, and he seems like this wildly eccentric guy. And then you meet his brother, who is arguably, Char- Charles Crumb, who is arguably every bit as brilliant. Um, and in, in his own way more so, but is is so troubled. And the relationship between the brothers fascinated us. And we didn't base uh, Charles at all on Charles Crumb at all. But just the idea of having uh, somebody who he had to take care of, that that would give this character humanity if he had someone who mattered to him. Uh, And then really pretty almost as soon as we thought of the idea, Vince said, I think he's been talking about Michael Ever since we started Breaking Bad, we, we always talked about Michael uh, to bring him in on Breaking Bad in a role. Did you think about what part he might have played? There were different thoughts, and it just never it never quite gelled, thank God. <laughs> it never quite gelled, but it's... it's he never read for Tuco? Somebody we all... Could have worked. You know, you think that's a ridiculous idea. But, uh, it is a ridiculous idea. <laughs> uh, you know, we, 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 when we cast Michael, Michael brought something to the character that, I, I, that we didn't anticipate. I remember being on the set in, uh, in episode one of Better Call Saul and hearing not just, not a weak person at all, not, mm. a, not, a tro- not even a troubled person, but a person to be reckoned with. And that Michael brought that element to the character. And Michael, the way Michael plays Chuck he is, he's an imposing character. He is a character of great depth and passion and pride. And mm-hmm. once we saw that, it changed the whole way the series went, actually, and the whole way we conceived of the character. And so we started writing to that. And I think up to that point, we had always asked ourselves, you know, what does Chuck mean to Jimmy? Mm-hmm. You know, we really felt Chuck was someone, as I said, someone to take care of, someone who we cared about, someone who could be hurt, someone who was wounded in some way. But then we said to ourselves, what does Jimmy mean to Chuck? And mm-hmm. what is it like for this man who is so brilliant, who is quoting Latin in the very first episode, who has a, a, is a little bit of a teacher with Jimmy even in, in some way. What is it like to have this ne'er-do-well younger brother? And that was, that, and this is the thing I have to say, I, I love about, Michael talks about it as a 30-hour movie. Uh, it's certainly, it's a long story. But the great thing about writing a long story isn't just that you can write a long story, is that the story and the characters can talk back to you. And we get to watch what the actors do and, cha- and not change what we had in mind necessarily, but deepen it. And I think that's, uh, I don't even know if that answers your question, but that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a story about... It's beautifully dodged. <laughs> Thank you. When you first read the character of Chuck on the page, what was your impression of him as a human being? 
Well, I was just, I, I had heard initially that, that the character was suffering from something that kept him in the house. And the nightmare was that I had head-to-toe psoriasis or something was going to mean like eight hours in makeup every time I shot. <laughs> so I was delighted that it was something as, as benign as uh, a, a problem. I just, I just thought it was, it was a very interesting character. I didn't know where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But... You know, certainly knowing, you know, I was a huge Breaking Bad fan and, 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 and knowing, knowing what I knew about Saul Goodman and how, you know, and that, that the story was going to be up in, in, in large part about how he arrived, how Jimmy arrived at Saul Goodman. I didn't see the blueprint. I just, I just saw, you know, I just kind of deliver what, what was delivered unto me. I just, you know, mm-hmm. interpret the best I can. So I didn't know it was all a mystery to me. And it was kind of a nice mystery because life is really like that. You don't know what's going to happen when you turn a corner. Mm. And it's kind of like that. You don't know what, when you get, you know, script number six, you don't know what that's going to be about. And uh, every now and then they'd give, they'd give me a shout and they'd say, uh, Vince and Peter would be on the phone. They'd say, yeah, we're in the writer's room. We just wanted to give you the heads up about something. Yeah. And it was in, I guess, nine, nine or 10 in the first season. Yeah. When it was like, yeah, we're going to see what Chuck's really made of. And I had some suspicions, but it was really kind of, oh, man, that's good. That's juicy. I'm going to get that all over my clothes. That's <laughs> Actors like to play in the dirt, you know. And, what was uh, it specifically? Well, it was about, it was, it was the scene between Jimmy and, and, and Chuck where he basically says, yeah, I've been, I've been dynamiting you. I've been rat fucking you, you know, and, and this is, you know, this is who I really am. This is what I really think of you. You're not a real lawyer. Yeah, and that's it a is, painful scene. Yeah, it was beautiful. You, there is something about that sense of authority, that sense of strength comes through. And it's interesting that you mentioned he's like a teacher. There's something, you sort of clarified a, a reaction that I have to this character that I've never really been able to put into words before, which is when I'm watching the show, not only do I want Jimmy to get Chuck's approval, but I feel like I also want Chuck's approval. Like, that's how strong that feeling is. It's, it's you know, it's dad energy. As a son and as a, uh, as a father, I'm familiar with it. And, uh, you know, my, my own father, I never met. He died before I was born. I'm still, I feel I'm still uh, working towards approval from him. Hmm. And, you know, and I've also seen with my daughter... The moments and the nanoseconds that I haven't approved, I, it's incredibly painful for her. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's something that we all understand is it's, it's wanting to please a parent. It feels different. It feels different with fathers and mothers. It just feels different. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that Jimmy, uh, there's a des- that creates, and Bob plays it so beautifully. Uh, there's a desperation to his desire to have Chuck hug him and tell him he's okay yeah. and and for them to to embrace in some way he really wants it even when he's angry that's the that's so much of that rage and bob you know as, as i said michael surprised me with how imposing chuck is jimmy has is so funny but he's also so enraged mm-hmm. and bob has and it's so funny. I mean, Bob is a, Bob is a comedian who, and one of his uh, well-known lines in, in the comedy world is, God damn it, I can't do it the way Bob does. But Bob has, and I think yeah. some of that is actually, uh, I don't want to speak for him, I think some of that is from Bob's dad. Mm. Uh, so it, go, it goes back to that. And he's, uh, Bob has that 
that anger and that that desperation that's underneath. I think it, it it actually doesn't fight with. It sounds like it would fight with the comedy, but I think it actually makes the comedy mm. uh, for me anyway. Mm. So let's talk about the bi- the biography of Chuck a little bit and just sort of clarify a few things. We saw his we saw their mother die in season two. Is that yeah. right? What happened to their father? Well, he he went out of business. He sold the store, mm-hmm. and uh, he just got into debt with some help from the very light fingered Jimmy, or that's according to Chuck. And he died within a year afterwards, right? I, mean, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What so, is the age difference between the brothers? Did you ever? Oh, well, let's that? not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we we said it's at least ten years, obviously. You know? Yeah. And uh, we said, let's 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 settle settle on that. Well, the re- well, the reason why I ask that is because when and I've witnessed this with my own children. My children are six and a half years apart, and when you're that far apart, the older sibling basically becomes kind of a parent or an, an associate parent right. because they're no longer in competition. One of them is developmentally so far so much more advanced right. than the other one, and I'm wondering if that isn't an aspect of it too. That he he really is like he's craving the approval of his dad because his dad was not as much of a presence as his older brother. Yeah, I think that's true, and I also think that the the, the one of the real uh, one of the real struts of this shaky relationship is that Chuck went off to college probably at sixteen, probably had his law shingle by the time he was twenty three, and he was the 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 very model of uh, of, of the good son, mm-hmm. and meanwhile this kid. Not pointing at you, Peter. This, this, kid, this kid, Jimmy, is you know is screwing up left and right, and it's very much that you know if if if, if you if you're a person, let's say, who has gotten your shit together and you're no longer drinking and doing terrible things, and there's a younger sibling who is still screwing up, you're going to be the one that they call on, even mm-hmm. if your parents are both alive. You look, could you come and you could you talk to Phil or you know, and. Boy, if you're trying to be a grown-up, you don't want to have to go back and parent your little brother. Right. Uh, not to make too much of a meal of it, but that's that's something very central to their relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. Defecation through the odd sunroof aside, <laughs> it's still a complicated relationship. And, you know, there's a lot more to sweep up. Yeah. yeah. Well, then that, bring, that brings me to my next question, which is who's looking, who was looking out for Chuck mm. during that time? Because there's there's a tremendous anger in Chuck and it's a very controlled sort of anger but you feel it and I wonder if some of the you know that intimidating almost like lethal ray of disapproval that 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 uh, Jimmy feels coming from Chuck isn't really about Jimmy that it's about the responsibilities that you're talking about that were foiced upon him that he didn't get to have he didn't get to have his 20s probably no 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 that's absolutely right yeah I think you just answered the question better than I could that's that's very definitely an element yeah and that and that that aspect of it is that something that you keep in your mind when you're playing this character. Do you keep the biography in your no, mind when you're playing? No, this no, character? no. Because uh, I mean, we don't we don't do that in life. You know, yeah. We 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 have the discussion we're having. We have the the scene we have. We go after what we want in our life. We're, we're not necessarily. It's always ammo, though. It's all you can always say. Well, you know what? I helped you out when you screwed up. Mm-hmm. So you you owe me this. That is not something that he would articulate, because then it would 
it would kind of be about debts and stuff. And I don't think we don't do that in life. We, 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 we talk about what we're talking now and we do what we're doing now, but it's all deep background. What about your, do, do you have a, <laughs> I almost hesitate to use the word, but do you have a, pro, do you have a process when you're preparing to play a character? Do you have a, me, do you have a method? If it's not the method, do you have a method that works for I, you? I figure out what the character is trying to do. And I said something the other day, which was sort of smart, so I have to repeat it. <laughs> it was totally accidental. I said, um, somebody was saying, well, what, what, is his, what is Chuck's opinion of his illness, for example? What is Chuck's opinion of his, of his affliction? And I said, well, I've always had to, I always had to take it as if it were really the truth, that it was really something I was feeling, because that's what was written. And the key for me was, if your assignment is to play a person who thinks he sees unicorns, mm -hmm. you can't play a person who thinks he sees unicorns. You have to play a person who sees unicorns. Mm. Otherwise, it's not going to land right. So the, the process was very much Chuck doing what he needs to do, getting towards health and viewing it as something that is beatable. Even after the revelation of the battery in, in, in episode five, which I still haven't seen, so don't spoil it for me. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it doesn't change the fact that he's really feeling it. Mm. You know, it makes him wonder about where the cure lies. If it's not in the pills I'm taking, if it's not in therapy, then it has to be something else. It has to be questions that I, I have to answer. We never got around to the questions, really. Well, you'll make up your own mind whether we do or not. Yeah. Uh, in episode 10. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been very interesting. Uh, just figure out what your character wants and go get it. That's mm. my method. There's a, I just love the beautiful scene you have with Clay Duvall here in this, yeah. this episode where it feels to me like Chuck is becoming aware or he's, he's, he's experimenting with the thought. Maybe this isn't real. Maybe, maybe this, this, uh, this shrink may have a way to help it is helping and so does that yeah. mean does that mean it's not real and mm, and it's that's and he's, what he needs he's, to know he's really it's it's uh to me it's a tremendously hopeful this whole episode that you guys just watched is true is true there's hope for this character for he me he hasn't had a, a person to speak to that, that he is can be can be that honest with yeah imagine that imagine a per, imagine having nobody in your life that you can be honest with yeah your um, your performance in that scene is more uh so, uh, what's the word? Disclosing. It's more. Yeah. You're more open in that scene than I think in any other scene on the show to date. Where does that come from? I mean, in, within the context of the scene, yeah. is it because it's somebody who's a neutral observer? Yeah, well, it's somebody that I trust on some level. Yeah. You know, I, I trust her because she's a professional, mm -hmm. but also because we've been through a couple of beats of this with her. Right. And she's seen me at my worst, you know. And she also, she's the first one to pull a trick on me and mm -hmm. that the little, little gadget on the end of the bed in, uh, in season one, right. where she has a little juice running and, and I can't see it, but everybody else can. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I still, at this point in, in this episode, I don't know that that happened, right. but I know there's something about her that I can trust. The fact that she has busted me without me knowing it is just kind of an interesting irony. Mm-hmm. But I think it's partly because she's a professional and also because he respects her intelligence and he does need somebody. I think that's one reason he's collapsing from the outside is there's nobody on the inside with him. Mm. You know, he had a wife. He loved his wife very much. How warm was their relationship? We don't know. 
but still it was something that worked for him. And it was, it was, uh, uh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine going through my life without my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, uh, to me, it's, I, I'm just, I just reiterate what's already in the show. It just, it, uh, Chuck goes through his hero's journey after that. There's that great scene where he goes, uh, he goes and has to brave all the electricity out in downtown Albuquerque mm-hmm. in order to call, uh, and call, call this doctor played by Clea Duvall. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, folks. I, I know people in the audience, from what I've heard, really despise this character, mm-hmm. uh, which which I understand, uh, but I don't. I personally don't. You know, I think if you can't really write these characters if you despise them, I, I can't. I, I and especially when you've been working for you know three years with a character, you can't despise them. The danger, though, is that you that because of your I think there's a there is a danger to that though because of the writers and producers love or affection for an actor you can start going easy on the character and and having them escape consequences or softening their edges or worst of all trying to make them likable mm-hmm. and just be, and I I don't mean that I find Chuck likable I, I but I do find him sympathetic and and, and especially uh in these these episodes this season because he is he is now engaged in a fundamental struggle with his idea of the world, and I, I, I'm rooting for him. At least I, I am rooting for him to to succeed here. I understand what you mean. Yeah, I don't think you can play someone you despise either. I mean, you can in a broad comedy. You can you know you can be like Steve Carell in Despicable Me. Yeah, you know, or you know what I'm talking, what I'm talking about, or Will Ferrell's character in the Zoolander movies. <laughs> you know, it's the, the delight in being despicable is kind of what makes it funny. But I don't. Uh, I worked with Helen Mirren once, and and she played this really awful woman, and she she said something. She said, "Whenever I have to play someone who's really terrible." I try and imagine, if it's not in the script, I try to imagine what terrible thing was done to her to make her, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, uh, it's kind of what you got to do. You kind of, you have to make a logical life out of what you're, what you're given to work with. Mm-hmm. These guys gave me a lot of background and every week it was a kind of a, another wonderful script. So win-win. I wrote a piece last year. Uh, I think it was called something like In Defense of Chuck. I, th- I have sympathy for Chuck, I, and I always have had sympathy for Chuck. I don't know why, if I'm just wired wrong, that I, I don't hate Chuck. I kind of feel for the guy. And I still get in arguments about that piece with people who don't, who don't like Chuck. And, and I find, you know, I'm like in there doing the Lord's work for Chuck. It's, it's crazy. And, uh, but, the, but what it often boils down to is this idea, which we've discussed before in a different setting, that uh, Jimmy does the wrong thing for the right reasons and Chuck does the right thing for the wrong reasons. What do, you, what do you think of that? I think that's part of it, but there's also something that we learned in Breaking Bad, which was once you set who your protagonist is and you kind of, once the audience understands the world, uh, the way the protagonist sees it, you really, as an audience in the audience, you really lock into that. You hold on to that first impression of, of all the characters. And one of the things that, I mean, in Breaking Bad, we, we realized very early on that Walt was somebody who was, even though somebody I had tremendous empathy for and interest in, he was ultimately a despicable human being who yeah. was doing terrible things for bad reasons. 
and telling but himself there were good reasons. But we well, came, there was one overarching good yes. reason to, to not leave his family destitute. Yes, but he had opportunities <clears throat> opportunities to avoid that without doing the terrible things that and he did. And then he liked it, as he told us. That's exactly it. So we realized what we did was we kept experimenting with, you know, how much can we give Vince really experiment? I should say everything um, Breaking Bad you really have to ultimately comes back to Vince. But the the it was fascinating to see how the show experimented with how much bad shit Walt could do and still have everyone rooting for him. And whereas you know, <laughs> Skyler, you know, who did you know her 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 transgressions were in my mind relatively minor yeah. compared with the other characters, and she. You know, Anna, Anna Gunn had to suffer through, you know, really scary stuff yeah. because of the, the emotions that were unleashed. And so I think this, it's, it's not the same because we don't have the, there's, there's a gender element to that, I think. There's the, when you're, you're, these stories, we talk about them like we really understand them. And in some ways we do, but they, any really good story that you get emotionally involved with goes to all kinds of deep, crazy levels that I don't think, we can fully articulate. And if mm-hmm. you could fully articulate and pull it apart, or at least if I could, then it's, it's almost like it would just be dead on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it. I, but I think that this is, this is a case where, you know, we're talking about and and Michael now with the beard looks a lot like God. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's a, you know, we're, we're talking about. I was about, going for Santa, but okay. Santa, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, Santa, you know, anyway, uh, it's another story. Um, I don't know where the hell I'm going with that, but it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, we're unleashing, unleashing certain things. I would say that, uh, I have forgotten the question completely. I could keep Jimmy, going. Jimmy doing the right thing for the wrong Jimmy reasons do, versus yes. the reverse. Yes. I think that's, I think that's true to some extent. Uh, and I think one of the things that we're fascinated by in the show is that, um, doing things legally is not necessarily the same as doing the right thing. And one of you know, my Nora and I, my wife, when I just went up to uh, uh, Stanford Law School to talk, we actually showed uh, an episode and then talked about the ethics. And one of the things I learned about lawyers is hmm. this: the hardest, the, those first couple of years of law school, according to these law teachers, the most difficult thing is for students to make the distinction between what their personal ethics are and what the law is. And the truth is that we all have an internal compass about mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong. And it doesn't always line up with the law. We need the law because it's supposed to be something that we can sort of all agree on because all our compasses point a little bit differently. But we're fascinated by that because there are, there are characters who by their own lights, they're all, they're all behaving in a justifiable way. I mean, certainly Mike. Mike is one of the most by his own lights, he is struggling with ethics constantly. Yeah. And he probably sees himself as clearly as any of the characters and is, is hard on, is probably the most hard on himself mm-hmm. of any of the characters. So I think those are, those are things, those are questions of like, like how, what is, that's, I mean, it's ultimately in stories. That's the thing you ask yourself. <laughs> what's the right thing for the character to do? It, what, what should, and that's the question we ask in our, writer's room all the time is what should the character do given these circumstances what should the character do what is the right decision for this character right now Hmm. and oftentimes the characters don't want to do that right right well here here's where it gets a a a little bit geeky i guess i would say because i want to just stay on this for a second 
when I argue with people about Chuck, mm -hmm. when I act as a defense attorney thank for you Chuck. For, thank you for standing up. Well, for Chuck. my pleasure. If we go for a second, if we assume that this template of Jimmy does the right things for the wrong, uh, does the wrong thing for the right reasons, and Chuck does the wrong thing for the right, uh, the right thing for the wrong reasons. Here's the thing about that: if you do the wrong thing for the right reasons, and everyone collectively agrees, yeah, yeah, he did the wrong thing for the right reasons, that could be the difference between a prison term versus a suspended sentence. It would be considered an extenuating circumstance, and everyone would be quite interested in your motive for doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. However, if you do the right thing. Who cares if you did it for the wrong reasons? The two things don't seem equal to me. And I find it interesting that, and I should have just printed it out. I had a Facebook argument that went on for days about Chuck. We should have just scrolled it like it was you know, the opening of Star Wars. Uh, but every, almost everybody was saying, yes, but nothing that Jimmy has done that is unethical or immoral is as bad as uh, what Chuck has done emotionally to his brother. Like, they're willing to forgive anything, any sort of transgression that Jimmy commits to get what he wants, but Chuck being mean to his brother is unforgivable. You know, I, you should, this is, you're going to have a new chapter for your argument uh, yeah. in the rest of the season. Let's put it that way. And don't forget, Jimmy, you know, at the end of, towards the end of this episode, Jimmy gets a drug dealer out of community service for 800 bucks, or 700, right? 700 I keep saying eight because it's episode eight. Uh, for eight hundred for uh, for for uh, seven hundred bucks, I'm going to say it again. Uh, it's seven hundred bucks, and that's that is something different. That's something we haven't seen from this guy. Yeah. Uh, he also in this episode finally does a slip and fall to get what he wants. Right. Uh, yes. That was, a was that him? Was that him? Uh, that is. Oh, I'm so glad you're asking that. And uh, that is a lot of that is Bob, and some of that is a stunt artist. Oh. And we had our, our amazing. Visual effects team it's, it's had a hand. It. Oh, I, it's oh. perfect. Oh, oh boy! You know Diane Mercer, our post producer. Oh. would be so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> oh, it was that was well, a, listen, a very I mean, very. Chill. A lot of people think I can play the hell out of the piano, and I, <laughs> I ain't much of a piano player. Was, but it, there's just that little. Oh yeah, he's really doing it. No. We really wanted to. Do, we wanted to do a shot where uh, you could see his face and see him turn away and then see him fall, mm -hmm. and it was. It turned out to be. Uh, quite challenging and it's also in broad daylight yes uh so it was, it it's was, a more it was... impressive visual effects display than anything i've seen in a marvel movie honestly <laughs> well thank you for that i mean it's and it's all credit uh, also to bill Pulowski, who is our, our uh, visual visual effects supervisor yeah. and and does an incredible job and dimer and frankly the whole post you know it's it's a a hidden aspect now you got me on another soapbox it's a hidden aspect that we don't really talk about is how important post is to 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 all of all of the, everything that we do, and there's a lot of reasons why we we don't talk about it because part part of it is it's always if you start taking things apart, it always sounds like if you don't say it right, it sounds like people on the set or people further up the line did something wrong because that's mm -hmm. always the joke is that the buck stops there. Uh, but we'll fix our, it in post. our post team is just is is really it's an unrivaled group of creative people who were deeply emotionally engaged in the story. If you heard how Kelly Dixon, who cut this episode, talks about the characters and her emotional investment in, in Chuck and Jimmy, she and Skip McDonald, who are, is our other editor, they are just remarkable artists. And, and uh, they have a lot of, of just a lot of creative 
and energy that goes into uh, into making this what what it is. Now, obviously, you have sympathy for a character who you play and who you've been playing for three seasons now. Yes, I wonder though if you were somehow able to just magically detach yourself from this guy and just see him as a character on a TV show, mm -hmm. would you understand the point of view of people who hate Chuck? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I would watch this show even if it was somebody else doing this role, and I would probably feel the way they do. But I like to think that I would understand it. It's, I would like to understand it as understanding both sides, really, uh, understanding Chuck's and Jimmy's. And I think that's ideally the way you have to do it. Much as Walter White's ethics were deeply challenging to a person who doesn't break the law a lot, you know, I, I still, I, I stayed with him. I stayed with him. And I, even when he did things where it was like, oh, no, uh -uh, no. Next episode, there I was back rooting for him <laughs> on some level. Yeah. But it wasn't as simple as rooting. You were just watching a really, really interesting story right unfold so i i think so yeah. and there was a touch of the count of monte cristo to that whole thing where it's like what can you get away with next <laughs> yeah yeah and, they yeah. and you kept escalating it I, I think there is a trick is it okay if i disclose a trick sure uh i, I and this is to all the writers and filmmakers i'm assuming some of you were in the audience there's a bunch uh the, the one of the big tricks that i've learned over the years is the character has to want something there's, there's, it's, it's, it's. Notice when Michael was talking about what, the way he he analyzes scripts is what is the character trying to accomplish. If you the, if you have a character with a great desire, that character is going to usually be very interesting. If it's somebody who really wants something and who can be either emotionally or physically hurt, emotionally I think is better because uh, physically hurt physically hurts kind of easy easy to express. Emotionally hurt is is, is you can do a lot more with in some ways. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's, I think that's the, tr that's, I think if there's any, and it's, we make it sound like drama is so complicated. Maybe it is, but there aren't really that many rules. A lot of it is just kind of feeling your way through it. But that's one thing that's always stood me in good stead. If there's, if there's a character who really has a, a great desire, a passion, a need for something, and the more specific it can be, that's, that tends to work better. And so for Chuck, Chuck has this whole knot of desires that all are expressed very clearly by Michael in his scenes. And that, that's, that's one of the things that makes drama go. Mm -hmm. For me, obviously not everyone works that way. Also, a lot of the things that he wants are things that are gone, things that he used to have. Mm -hmm. He used to have this marriage. He used to have a great stereo. Right. <laughs> no, I right. mean, listen, I mean, uh, everything. And sometimes regaining what you had is a greater quest than looking for something new. Mm -hmm. There was a time when Jimmy stayed back in Cicero and I was the king of Albuquerque. You know, that's, that, that is something he's trying to engineer again. But like I say, regaining it is even more frustrating than going on to the next chapter. Mm. So I had one clip that I wanted to show because it's so far my, my favorite moment of the entire season which is the end of the courtroom episode. I am not crazy. I know he swapped those numbers. I knew it was 1216. One after Magna Carta, as if I could ever make such a mistake. Never, never. I just, I just couldn't prove it. He, he covered his tracks. He got that idiot at the copy shop to lie for him. Mr. McGill, please, you don't have to go. You think this is something, you think this is bad. This, this chicanery, he's done worse. 
that's billboard are you telling me that a man just happens to fall like that no he orchestrated it jimmy he defecated through a sunroof and i saved him and i shouldn't have i took him into my own firm what was i thinking he'll never change he'll never change ever since he was nine always the same couldn't keep his hands out of the cash drawer but not our jimmy couldn't be precious Jimmy, stealing them blind. And he gets to be a lawyer? What a sick joke. I should have stopped him when I had the chance. And you, you have to stop him. You... I apologize. I lost my train of thought. I got carried away. <clears throat> Do you have anything else? I've watched that scene probably seven or eight times, and I still have a hard time watching the part where you get the ca you get a catch in your voice, and it becomes so helplessly angry at the unfairness of it. How many times did you do that? I don't like to think about it. Yeah? There's a few, it was like 30, 30 pages of dialogue in that sequence, it, and it just, it was endless. But um, fun, too, you know? Yeah. Really fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, notice it's, it's I, as I'm sure it's obvious to everyone, that's, that's one unbroken take. Yeah, uh, and that's it's uh, it's uh, again talking about editing. This is beautifully edited because Skip holds on this, and we don't see the reactions of everyone in the courtroom until Michael has Michael Michael has his little break at the end, uh, and it's it's, it's it's everybody working together. Also, I have to give credit, by the way, to uh, Gordon Smith who wrote the yeah. episode mm -hmm. and Dan Sackham, Dan Sackham. Who, who directed. And they both did. Both but I never thought about what they were going to use. I just, you know, we just did it over and over, you know, because you have to. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We didn't know what they were. This is the first I've seen it, by we, the way. I haven't, we, I've only seen you the don't first. Watch the, you don't, you're well, not keeping up with the show. I, you're I, on what are you now, I three have, or four? I have, I've seen the three episodes. But it's largely because. <laughs> this season, though. This season. Yeah, no, I've seen everything. But it's like. I don't like to watch alone because I feel like Norma Desmond with her own movies. You know? so, so I like having I like having friends and family around, and we've just been geographically separated, you know, a, a lot and kind of busy. I've been doing this play, and my wife was doing a play, and it was just sort of we just kind of got behind in our business. So uh, uh, it's, I've been avoiding it. I mean, we're, we'll we'll catch up. Mm -hmm.